It's time for Cadillac On Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac On Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Jim Hall with you. Welcome to another edition of Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And we have been counting up that tonight marks roughly the 80th week that we have been focusing nearly the entirety of our program on the COVID-19 pandemic. The ups and downs of this since early February of 2020 have been really amazing to see. And sadly, we are back in where the ups are dominating and not in a good way. The height, the rates of our COVID in our community, in our region, are off the charts. The hospital system, the healthcare system, is nearing really a breaking point. And so tonight uh, we're coming at you with a little more sense of urgency to talk about the depth of this problem, why it's such an issue, and what we can all as community members do uh, to help rectify it and help get us back to where we need to be, uh, where we all want to be relative to this pandemic. So tonight, in the first half of our program, we're going to hear from Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District, who has been such a great guest of ours and a go-to person for information the last year and a half. And in the second half of our program, we're going to be joined by the head of the emergency department at Cadillac Regional Medical Center to hear firsthand the impacts that this is all having on the healthcare system in our community, because it is getting uh, very serious if it, if, as if it has not been over the past year and a half. So w- with that context, we welcome to the program Heather Hill. And Heather, I know so much of what we've tried to uh, focus with this hour each week is provide data, provide as objective and up-to-date information as we can. And I know whether it's the case rates which are off the charts, the hospitalizations that are high, this variant that has taken hold, or whatever it might be, it's a very serious situation as we're talking today, right? You're exactly right, Jim. Um, We've talked about the seriousness of COVID over the last 18 months, but it's kind of over the last, you know, six months or so, we saw a definite improvement. Things were heading in the right direction. But, my goodness, the last month, last couple of weeks particularly, things are not going in the right direction, and sense of urgency is certainly what we're facing right now. When we look at our 14-day COVID activity case rates, um, in the last week alone, Benton County is 44.7% higher and Franklin County is at 43.3% higher. Our new count every day is just surging up in a direction and at a rate that we honestly didn't expect. And unfortunately, our hospitals and our healthcare system just does not have the capacity to handle well at all. And, and that's the sense of urgency that we're talking about. It's one thing for a person to be ill, stay at home, get over it just fine, but we're finding that um, for a number of people that's just not the case. They are needing acute care help. They need to be in the hospital. And um, in the calls we've had today with our, our hospitals, our community leaders, and some of our infectious disease community um, leader members, there is a, a definite difference in the, in the urgency message that we need to get out to our community right now. 
you know, we had the opportunity to beat this virus and return to pre-pandemic with the uh, vaccine when it came on board. But when you look at the extremely low vaccine rates in our community, and, and I hate to say it, but it, it's our community. It's not Washington State. It's, it's Benton and Franklin County that has the lowest case rates. And Franklin County has the highest case rate of disease in all the four western states. This tells us that as a community, we have not done a good job of doing what we know scientists scientists say will stop this, and we all need to take it very, very personal because it is affecting the health, the well-being of our community. We're heading into some, you know, times coming up in the very near future. Kids are going to go back to school. And we have been very fortunate to date to not see it hit our pediatric population very bad at all. But all you have to do is look at what's happening in the southern states where schools are back in session. And when we hear stories from those states and see the high case rate in the pediatric population and pediatric intensive care units that are full with ill children and ill children on ventilators, um, you know, I don't think we'll necessarily be that severe of a problem because we're not that big of a community. But honestly, one child, two children becoming severely ill and ending up on a ventilator from what could be a vaccine-preventable infection is just really unacceptable in, in our community. And we need to all take this very, very seriously because uh, we're heading in the very, very wrong direction. And I know the word that, that we have been emphasizing the last few weeks that is the genesis of this incredible explosion of cases is variants. But, and I guess it's the Delta variant, right, that we're talking about that has been the cause of this explosion in cases. And, and, and again, it's something that we knew we had to guard against. We knew the Delta variant was coming, and we were encouraging people, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. And we're still at such low vaccination rates in our community, and that obviously is leading to the surge of, of Delta. But the, the rate of acceleration of this virus within our community is faster than our resources can keep up with. Our hospitals are under-resourced, low staffing, staff are out sick themselves, staff have quit the profession. And we're hearing of long lines in emergency rooms, some concerns with um, shortages of some PPE like N95 masks. And honestly, this could have all been prevented if people would have vaccinated. But here we are today with a very grim outlook for our community. So it's important we look at, well, what can we do? We can go ahead and get vaccinated, but that's not going to protect us tomorrow. What we have to do now is go back to those mitigation uh, strategies that we talked about pre-vaccination. We have to look at our social circles. We have to be very careful uh, where we are and who we're socializing with and being close to and whether there's a chance of us catching COVID in, in that circle. We need to be wearing masks. Anytime we're indoors, the prudent, the wise thing to do is wear a mask when you are indoors. And by all means, um, stay away from large gatherings. We know that there have been a number of large gatherings across the state that have also driven up our own case rate right here 
in in the Tri-Cities, but because we are a very under-vaccinated community in comparison to the rest of our state, it has hit us very, very hard. So what you're saying, I guess, for comparative purposes, we have talked about the way we have opened up as an economy over the course of the summer prior to the variant taking such strong hold. For example, the Mariners are playing at home tonight. People can go to that game and sit next to one another, 30,000, 40,000 strong if they get that many out. But because of the vaccination rates in the Seattle area versus where we are, it's much more dangerous for those types of gatherings in places like here. So perhaps, you know, WSU starts football. Their first football game, I think, is September 3rd or 4th, and they are planning to have full crowds. So if that's indeed going to happen, and I know they have low vaccination rates, that's going to be very problematic. You're exactly right. And then there's the concern with people who are vaccinated and still catching covid Well, when you live in a community where this virus is swirling at such extremely high rates, you, a vaccinated person, are going to have a significantly greater likelihood of coming in contact with somebody with COVID. And that is why it's so extremely important for those people who are vaccinated. Put your mask on because there's a lot of virus out there. And unfortunately, with this Delta variant, uh, you you are more likely to catch it even as a vaccinated person because of the sheer number of people infected in our community. And I personally know of someone very close to me that has contracted COVID, fully vaccinated in another, another part of the Northwest, fully vaccinated, but also, as you said, uh, was around other people that weren't vaccinated, and that's where they picked it up. We have another segment with Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. Stay with us. More of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to the program. You'll notice that our program is on a day earlier in its live form. We're on a Tuesday rather than a Wednesday due to programming reasons. Next week, we'll be back at our normally Wednesday time frame from 6 to 7 p.m. Visiting with Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And before we get back to our interview with Heather, I want to pass along one more statistic, and that is the latest vaccination rates relative to the state of Washington. And this number is age 12 and older fully vaccinated as of August 7th. The state of Washington average is 62%. Walla Walla County is 53%. Benton County is 48%. Franklin County is 42%. And I think those numbers all extrapolate similarly, whether you talk about 16 plus or the overall population, it's very much, as Heather mentioned in our first segment, the rates in our region are much lower than where they should be. And back to our interview, Heather, I know we touched momentarily a a little bit on the variant and and why it's uh, been so explosive here in the last month. And and as we go forward, I, I want to touch a little bit more with, with the, the mask issue. And, you know, whether it, you use the word mandate or requirement or whatever it is, it sounds like, given what you just described in the first segment, that um, it's just the right thing to be doing to wear a mask if you're inside, especially around large groups of people. That's right, Jim. And in public health, we we give people a lot of recommendations about what are the healthiest, safest ways to conduct their life in in many capacities. 
And science has well proven that masks do protect people from transmission of respiratory illnesses, whether it's influenza or, in this situation, COVID. And because our vaccine rates are so low and we are seeing such a surge of of, uh, disease within our community, that's where we highly recommend people get back to wearing their masks. Put whenever you're going to go inside a building, put that mask on. Uh, avoid those large gatherings. And if you must go to a large gathering, make sure you're wearing your mask. Um, you know, unfortunately, masks don't necessarily protect you from you know others. You're really wanting to stop what's coming out of your nose and mouth from passing on to somebody else. And if all of us would heed that advice and and get our masks back on for a little bit longer, we might be able to see the sudden surge of the Delta variant COVID virus uh, decrease. But um, at this point, unfortunately, it's it's looking rather grim. And you touched on it as well. Uh, School is less than a month away here in the Tri-Cities area in our region of the state of Washington. And again, I know masks are are required for people in the classroom setting, whether they're students or staff. But again, um, at this point, you know, age 12 and under can't get vaccinated, right, as far as I understand it. And, and even in the middle and high school ages, those rates are still pretty low. So just another issue that's uh, before us if we don't start taking a little more present action. Right. And making sure that our students are surrounded by people who are vaccinated. So if you have kids that are under age of 12 in your family, then the rest of the family really needs to be vaccinated to help protect that child. Um, and, and the teenagers, especially, we look at that 12 on up population who are very social and they want to be with friends. They're involved in activities. Now's the time to look at not only do they have COVID vaccine on board, but do they have the rest of the important childhood vaccinations that they need to stay healthy? But as we move into the the school months, unfortunately, unless people are willing to really take heed and wear those masks, protect protect those kids, we're concerned about what will happen to that pediatric population and will we see a surge in in that group and if it follows what's happened in other states then unfortunately that's what will happen and interestingly if i go back a year ago to about this time as we were getting ready to go to school uh, obviously the school system ended up being pretty much uh virtual wholly to begin the year this year we're not to that degree but it seemingly um you know and a year ago economically we were in these phases you know, if it was the same, I guess if the phases were still in existence now, we wouldn't be as open as we are uh, right now, right? If if the numbers uh, were applied today that they were a year ago. Right. Looking back um, with our numbers the way they are now and mirroring the way they were, you know, roughly a year ago, in fact, we're a little worse than that we would not be looking at person in-person school and we do not want to go back to virtual learning if at all possible because our kids do need to be together. It is better for them, but it's also not good for kids to be disrupted as we have outbreaks happening in schools once we do have face-to-face learning. 
And as kids get exposed and they get sick and we have pockets of outbreaks throughout our school system and students have to stay home for periods of time, that's extremely disruptive in a child's life as well. And that's why these mask mandates are very, very important is to keep that most vulnerable population as safe as possible and and really under the age of 12, the only thing we really have to help protect them is those uh, masking and social distancing, hand washing uh, efforts that we've talked about for so long now until, you know, hopefully in the not too distant future, vaccine will be available for that younger population, but it isn't right now. And as we're seeing in other parts of the country, stories that it is taking hold very seriously on that younger population and and I know throughout this pandemic, that was one of the issues or that was raised that, hey, it's, they don't spread it as much. They're not going to get it as bad. But, but this variant has really changed the game, hasn't it? The, the Delta variant has certainly um, changed this game, absolutely. And the surge that we're seeing right now is unprecedented. And we as a community, like I've said, now is the time to take this extremely serious. We should have taken it serious weeks ago, but um, right now is the time to consider getting vaccinated. Get your kids vaccinated that are of age before school starts. You've got a little bit of time here to at least get one vaccination on board, start building their immunity, and and then make sure you get that second vaccine because it's the Pfizer that those 12 and older kids need to get. And it's a two-part series. So if you start now and get your kids vaccinated, then they can get number two, and then they should have a much, much healthier school year. We have just a minute or two left with you at this point, And I know we have mentioned the various ways that uh, efforts have been made to Try and help people understand the benefits of getting vaccinated, not telling them to get vaccinated, but the benefits of doing so. Celebrities, public health figures, medical experts, friends, neighbors, clergy, the, the medical providers, and people even that have were anti or against getting vaccinated that got COVID and now have changed their mind. I guess, what's your concluding message, Heather, as we sit here um, in mid-August on the precipice of a very uh, key time in this pandemic. I've heard the same exact stories, Jim. I've talked to people who were not going to get vaccinated, became ill, wish they had gotten vaccinated, but that also prompted them to get that that post-illness vaccination that we still highly, highly recommend. Um, Then our physician population, we know that they are very supportive locally in in getting their patients vaccinated. We're working so closely with them, encouraging them, helping them in any way possible we can to get vaccine into these provider offices because we know that our community says, I'll listen to what my doctor says. And so we need to help facilitate those conversations, encourage those physicians to have those conversations with their parent patients, and then to make sure that they do have vaccine in in the office. We, we want those doctors to have it right there at the time they're having those conversations with those patients. And as we sit here in the middle of August or getting ready to enter the middle of August, we it sounds like it might get a little worse before it gets better just the way this data comes in because of lagging uh, lagging information and then the way this this virus acts. 
But again, as you probably heard in Heather's voice tonight and maybe in the tone of our questioning, is, is, uh, it's as serious as it's ever been. And Heather Hill, I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us. And we have more to talk about on this topic, and we'll do that with the head of the Catholic Emergency Department right after this. Listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And over the course of the past 18 months, as we have focused on the coronavirus pandemic, we have tried to give you as many perspectives as we could throughout, whether it's from public health experts, uh, patients, uh, frontline caregivers, physicians, you name it. Uh, We have tried to uh, cover all the bases to give you as accurate a picture of the current situation as we can. And we're hoping to do a little bit more of that tonight. And we're very fortunate to have with us the medical director of the emergency departments at Catholic Regional Medical Center, uh, Dr. John Matheson. <laughs> and Dr. Matheson, I, I know, um, you know, emergency room care is, is your, your life's work. And the people that you work with in the emergency departments, both in Richland and in Kennewick, that Cadillac operates. And have you ever seen anything like we're seeing today in your career? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, you know, we, we've faced challenges in the past. We've, uh, We've had uh, some difficult situations, but um, and and certainly the last year and a half has been um, among the, the the greater challenges I've seen. But this latest surge that uh, we keep talking about uh, is even different than what we've had in the last uh, over the last year and a half. And you know, if there's anything about this COVID uh, pandemic, it's that there is a lot of unpredictability in it. And when I saw this this latest search starting, I I, I recognized that it could come and and what was going to happen. But I honestly did not believe it would be as bad or worse than some of the prior surges that we've that we've experienced. And and we're seeing that, and and that's complicated by other factors beyond just the virus as well. And this, you know, I know throughout the, the the initial parts of the pandemic, it seemed to hit, you know, different areas of not only our region, but across the country. It hit different areas at different times. But now it seems like this one, as you touched on, is has reacted so differently and so much quicker. So it's it's really put uh, put a strain on the entire system. Yes, it, it's uh, you're you're absolutely correct. It has revealed a lot of the vulnerabilities of our healthcare system. As you indicate, in the prior uh, year and a half, we would have surges, but they they tended to be regionalized and, and isolated. Even when, of course, the state of Washington, we had some of the first, but it was more on the west side before it got to our side of the state. And, uh, and, and this is kind of sweeping the country uh, very quickly, and it's it's everywhere. And this is clearly this variant is more transmissible, and uh, we are seeing a lot of severe illness. We are seeing it impact younger people, uh, and we are seeing relatively young, healthy people, even in the ICU, who are fighting for their lives, which was, was incredibly rare before, and now is is 
not uncommon. That was my next question is describe uh, what you're seeing in the emergency department, uh, not to, not only with the COVID cases that you're seeing, the types of them, but you're also seeing the normal uh, day-to-day other types of healthcare business that comes into the emergency department or trying to. Sure. Absolutely, we are seeing a number of COVID cases. Uh, but what I think is causing us to really ha- overwhelm our system is that so much of uh, our society is going back to uh, trying to act like we did before, which is absolutely understandable. But we, we've stopped with a lot of the measures to uh, to limit the spread uh, and maybe become a little bit more cavalier about it, even at a time when it's important to be more so. But this also comes at a time when uh, we're seeing all of the other things that people come in for. During this pandemic, there was some limited access to care in some cases and people who were afraid to go in and get care. And so people with chronic illness uh, have seen some of their chronic illness get worse and now they're having problems with it. We're also seeing the fallout from a very stressful time in the healthcare uh, community where um, particularly among uh, nurses who have been at the front lines, um, there we see them uh, you know, burning out. We're seeing that we already had a national nursing shortage, and many have left the profession altogether. Some are moving away from some of the frontline areas just because of the toll it's taken on them personally. And so we see some staffing issues, and that's not unique to... Cadillac or the Tri-Cities or even the Northwest, we're seeing it throughout the country. And so it makes it more difficult to um, to be able to see all the patients that come in, more difficult to place patients. Um, and then we add on top of that fact that when people get very sick with COVID to the point that they need to be admitted to the hospital, that illness tends to last longer than many of the other illnesses. So typically an average hospital admission, and certainly there's a wide range, but an average hospital admission for other conditions runs maybe three or four days. I think it's around four days um, on average, but uh, an admission for COVID tends to last longer because the illness goes longer. And so it's not just that we're getting people admitted, but they're getting admitted and taking up those beds for longer because they need that care. And in the ICU, sometimes for weeks at a time, and then those ICU beds are not available for others. So it, it really has been um, kind of a, a perfect storm of issues uh, coming on that has caused a, a stress on the healthcare system. Uh, we're, we're still here. We're still uh, taking care of people, we're still doing everything we can, but but it has been uh, a challenge. I know on this program we have featured what, uh, a department of the hospital called the Transfer Center, and I know that's one of the hallmarks that Cadillac has really built its reputation on over the years is as that regional referral center to be a place where patients can go for more specialized care from rural areas that don't have the level of services that Cadillac does here in the Tri-Cities. And I know, Dr. Matheson, that that particular piece has been made even more difficult, uh, not only in the region coming into Cadillac, but around the entire Northwest, right? Yes, and and frankly, beyond the Northwest. 
it is something that I love about Cadillac is that we we really do take care well beyond the borders of the Tri-Cities, and we are a resource for our region and helping those communities that don't have the same number of resources. And sadly, we have been stretched to the point where we do not have open beds in our ICU, on our floors, uh, on the other uh, hospital units, um, to be able to help some of these communities that need uh, somewhere to send a patient. And so we are unable to take those transfers from other hospitals and they have to look elsewhere. But as you say, you know, we are a regional center and we have a, a great number of resources, but there are things and there are conditions that we can't take care of here that need additional specialization, that need a tertiary care center, that need a major hospital uh, beyond resources that we have. Uh, and sometimes, even if it's something that we normally could care for, we don't have the we don't have the space for our ICU, our intensive care unit may be completely full, and we need to admit somebody to the intensive care unit. And it doesn't look like we're going to be able to make the space. Sometimes we have to transfer patients out as well, and that's very difficult. Uh, throughout the region, most of the intensive care units are full. We have had to call not just to Spokane or Seattle or even Portland, but we have had to call hundreds of miles away to other states within the region and beyond uh, that we've never had to call before. We're also getting calls and requests from well beyond our normal service area from places because there's just very few places that have the capability or the capacity to take more patients. And sometimes it's just lucky we happen to call at the right time. Um, but it it is it has been challenging. Sometimes it takes twenty or more calls to different facilities to find a place. Sometimes we'll get on a waiting list and and we'll ha- keep somebody in the emergency department until a bed opens up, and that could be a day or two later. Um, so it really is, as I said, this is not a Cadillac issue. It's not a Tri Cities issue. It's not even a Washington or a regional issue. This is we're seeing this throughout the country. Is um, there's more and more demand on the system and uh, just not enough beds or staff to uh, to really be able to take care of all of them the way we would like. We are, now that said, we are caring for everybody who walks through the door. The, sometimes the waits are longer, but we are triaging, we're assessing, we're, we're uh, prioritizing people the best we can, and we are, we are taking care of people. And I don't want to, I don't want that message to go that, you know, you're not going to be cared for, but it is. we are stretched more thin than we have been in the past. We're visiting with Dr. John Matheson, and when we come back, we have a few more minutes of his time that he's going to share with us, and we'll get his input on maybe what we can all do and the role we can help play to mitigate some of the stress that has been placed on our amazing healthcare system here in our region. Back with more of Cadillac on Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. We have a few minutes left with Dr. John Matheson, the medical director of the emergency departments at Cadillac Regional Medical Center. And before we let you go, Dr. Matheson, I want to have you uh, touch on a topic that I believe we had you on addressing prior to the pandemic, 
and that is the area of resilience in healthcare and the world that people like you and the teams that you work with, whether they're nurses or therapists or fellow physicians or or the other people that make up a hospital healthcare team, uh, just the daily stress that you take. But talk a little bit about where resilience is in your mind right now as the stress that you're seeing with your colleagues in the healthcare system. Well, I think that it's uh, it's being it's being uh, pushed more than uh, and and stretched more than what I've recall uh, throughout my career, certainly, and and it's the the intensity of of what we're seeing, but it's also just the relentless nature, and and this has been going on for so long, and that. Every time it looks like we're getting over it and we're going to do better, and we're, we we see the light, then you know we get this this other surge. And so it, it has been stressful and challenging for colleagues, and um, it's an important topic because we need to we need those who are providing the care to be well so that they can provide that care. And um, many are hurting and struggling, um, but I think that we also have. Uh, group of people who are working in, who are dedicated to this work, who are dedicated to helping others, who recognize that as hard as it may be, that there are others who uh, are suffering more and, and need our help, and, and they're, they keep coming to work every day, and I am incredibly in, in grateful for and and impressed all the time by my colleagues, including uh, my nursing colleagues that I work with. They're amazing people, and I'm, I'm proud to be affiliated with them. Let's transition then, if we would, from, you know, we touched on with Heather Hill, uh, the, the lagging vaccine rates in our region, mm-hmm. especially around the state, of, compared to the state of Washington. And and by all accounts, uh, the large percentage of this variant is among the unvaccinated, and I know I'm sure that's the case of the admitted patients at Cadillac. What is your message for people? Have you had people that have come in and kind of changed their tune that you've encountered because they said, "I didn't want to get the vaccine, but now I do," or that they've maybe uh, seen the the effectiveness of, yeah. of why it's so important? I, I think we have, especially during this surge, and as we're getting more and more experience and people see that while it is true and you'll hear stories of of people who are vaccinated getting infected but the overwhelming majority almost all of the people who are admitted to the hospital because of covid virtually all of them i believe and i, I i'm reluctant to throw numbers out but it is you know in that Nationwide, I believe it's around 90-95% of the people who are admitted for COVID uh, are unvaccinated. And approaching 99% of deaths from COVID currently with this Delta variant, which is which is what we're seeing, are um, the deaths are from the unvaccinated. And so that does change the minds. And I do see people who come in and they, they thought uh, that they didn't need it or that it wasn't a big deal or that this illness there, that this was just a flu and, and we shouldn't be making a big deal for it. But then when they're struggling to breathe, they think, I, I wish I had done it. Um, um, and, you know, with the vaccine, it, I know that there are a lot of emotional issues tied to it. Uh, there's trust issues and, and so forth. Um, I don't want to get into 
mandates and do you have to and, and so forth. But I think uh, I, my message is the best thing we can do, the most effective attack against this illness and to get us back to some semblance of normal is to get the vaccine. And and I, I recognize, yes, there are people who have reactions to the vaccine, but this, there are concerns that this is um, new vaccine, that it hasn't been tested thoroughly. I assure you it has been tested very thoroughly. It follows the pattern of all the vaccines we've had in the past where reactions are almost exclusively within the few, first few weeks. The vast majority are temporary. And if we just look at it globally, we have had half a million people in our country die from COVID. We have had millions infected, and many of those have long-term symptoms. We now have half of our country who have been vaccinated, and the experience of those who have been vaccinated, we have seen very few serious or long-term lasting complications and virtually no deaths. And so that right there, to me, is the best evidence that we have half of the people in the country have been vaccinated. They are not dying. They are not getting long-term problems. Uh, Extremely rare compared with the overwhelming number we are seeing of COVID infection and complications. And and to me, that is is the best best argument for getting it. Um, And it's something I, I think that this vaccine is, is as safe and effective as any we've had. Well, Dr. Matheson, that's a perfect way, I think, to end this program. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your perspectives and continued uh, amazing work by you and the entire team in the healthcare world that is seeing these continued faces in, the, in, in light of a pandemic. Thank you for listening. Uh, please take the time. Ask people like Dr. Matheson, your trusted healthcare provider, if you're not quite sure where you stand on the vaccine. Please ask the questions and make the right choice. We'll be back with another edition of Cadillac on Call next week. Thanks for listening. Take care.